Welcome to the Zoo Town Affordable Housing Podcast Affordable is stable Afford means that you're able To make your wages last Through their rent and expenses While even retaining some senses Stability with the ability To do things differently We are already at the eighth episode of ZAP. Following, you will hear my interview with Laval Means and Aaron Wilson at the City of Missoula's Office of Development Services. Laval is Planning Services Manager, and Aaron Wilson is Transportation Planning Manager. We spent our time talking about how transportation costs factor into the affordable housing question and also discussed what things the city considers when planning upcoming affordable housing projects. Another thing we address is the housing policy that the city of Missoula signed in June 2019, and what Development Services has done to accommodate the new requirements since that policy was signed. For more information, listen to Episode 1. I hope you enjoy my interview with Laval Means and Aaron Wilson at the Office of Development Services. So, Laval Means and Aaron Wilson, both of you are here today. We're with uh, Development Services here at the Zoning Department in Missoula. And uh, you're both going to speak with us today. And Laval means you are the planning services manager. Aaron Wilson, you are transportation planning manager. And I'm so excited to speak with both of you. Who would like to go first? Yeah, I mean, I think big picture, both of us do long-range planning um, in some capacity or another. And so the way I approach affordable housing and, and thinking about it is from the, the transportation system and, and how we can affect changes that might impact people's budgets at the end of the day. So what does the long-term planning look like right now for transportation in Missoula? Well, um, we, we do a lot of planning. So um, in my division, we have the Metropolitan Planning Organization, which is a federally mandated um, piece of, of local government that's required because of our population size. And so we manage all of the, the, federal, um, the federal funds that come through Missoula. And then we're required to essentially coordinate with all of the different government agencies. So city, county, state DOTs, transit agencies, and make sure that our, our long, long-term plan is, is coordinated and comprehensive and continuing. Are the three the three C's that we're required to do. So, um, so we have a long range transportation plan that we're actually just embarking on an update um, next week. We'll have sort of public launch of that. Um, we are we have infrastructure plans. So we have a pedestrian facilities plan, a bicycle facilities plan, and then we get involved in lots of policy and um, corridor studies and more localized design of specific projects. Anything about trains? <laughs> Uh, you, you know, we we try to look at freight, but that's real. Freight is sort of its own thing, um, and so whether that's um, trains for moving goods um, or the passenger rail is something that's come up as a very um, you know hot topic lately. And we would have maybe a role in helping support that, but but not necessarily in 
planning for it. Or there, there, we have limited role in how that would happen. So, yeah. Okay, and Laval, so you are a planning services manager, and recently Missoula signed a housing policy, yes. and I wondered what you have to say about planning in Missoula and how the housing, poli housing policy has affected what you do here and tell us what you do here. Tell us about everything. Well, we, we look at um, the broad, long-range needs for growth and development within the city and around the edges of the city. And the housing policy really kind of goes hand in glove together with um, implementing some of the broader policy needs that we have for the city and then also sort of focusing in on um, how do we get there? So we work really closely with the housing department and um, they end up suggesting some ways that we can look at changing some of our development rules, suggesting ways that we can um, look at focusing in on um, different areas of where development is happening and then we play a role in that too by having some more specific information that, that takes our broad policies and layers them together to say, here's where we, how much land we know there is available for development um, or has the potential for development and where is it located and taking things from our policies that say those things need to be close to where there's existing services, where there's existing roadways and infrastructure, where there's ex existing you know, grocery stores and parks and, and ID some higher opportunity and um, suitable areas for development and primarily residential. And that kind of works well with the housing policy that's talking about the need and the supply. And we have some visuals and some emphasis on particular areas and and then we also look at where we can potentially change some rules to help make and support that housing need. And so what rules would need to change to make that housing need more attainable for folks? There's some things that we, we, we look at um, in our zoning and, and even our land development rules like subdivision where um, if we can do some things that have to do with maybe streamlining some processes or creating some flexibilities in some processes, um, that's a way that we can help. Um, we also are looking at um, ways to look at the land densities maybe in our areas. Right now we have zoning a zoning code that um, limits the kind of building types that can happen in certain areas and we're really finding that to be pretty restrictive. So sometimes when our rules are so restrictive, um, the ask by developers are to create special rules. And the more special rules we have around the city, the more we know we're a little out of date and we need to circle back to that and update things and, and revisit you know, some of our districts or create new ones that allow that flexibility of building types. You know, for example, we have some districts that limit um, the use to just a single residential unit or two attached. And um, 
you know, there's more interest in in creating units, not not big multi-dwelling ones, but but three attached or four attached, and still attempting to keep the density at a moderate level. And um, we create we have zoning that is a little limiting in that. So if there's ways we can think about some new tools like that, we've also heard um, you know the challenges or the restrictions on setback can hold uh, the ability to have smaller lot and smaller units um, occurring. So can we revisit that and think about what would work well for new development while still respecting our existing patterns? So we always have to balance what could potentially be new and how does it fit in some of our really um, existing patterns we have. So what does that look like right now for someone who, say, comes to the zoning department and wants to get information on how they might, say, take a lot and put, instead of one unit, four units on it, and they check their zoning, and it looks like... I just checked the zoning for the north side, and it looks like there's some zoning areas that are have been revised recently or are allowing a higher density zoning, and so... What would that conversation maybe look like if someone wanted to do that right now? Um, if somebody is exploring an, um, the ability to do something beyond what's in their existing zoning, then they'd come to the zoning office and, and have a conversation with a case planner. They'd look at what their options are. One of the fun fundamental elements of that is our growth policy, that community policy document I was talking about. So we always look for how well does that um, comply or conform? How well does that proposal conform to this policy document? Um, if it is fitting with that, that's, your, that's really a starting point, you know, and there's a lot of range within it. So if you're looking at a zoning in the neighborhood that you were talking about, we probably have um, land uses that would support mixing of uses and neighborhood um, moderate, medium to higher density. So if the proposal is to change it to that, um, that's, that's, that's a place we'd find a lot of support in. Um, we would also look at ways that it um, complies or where, how it fits with uh, existing transportation systems or as close to services again. Um, what kind of transit is around it? How far is it from the core of the community? Those are other aspects. So the city has a set of review criteria that they compare and, and think about when they're looking at these proposals. So that's one aspect of it, following certain pieces that are already written up in our zoning procedures for an ask, like a change of zoning. The other part is um, noticing and letting residents and properties around that parcel know that there is a request that's coming in. And um, so people then have an opportunity to provide comment to our planning board, which is a first step of review for rezonings. And then planning board provides a recommendation to city council. Another opportunity for more public comment and review by city council before they ultimately make a decision. So yes, the changes can happen. And often, they're very much supported in our community policy documents. You said that uh, streamlining the, the process for potential developers well, is, is one of the changes that's happening. How does that 
make the application process, does it make it faster or does it make it easier? Or <laughs> um, we're, when we, we talk about streamlining, we're, we're needing to do it in, in balance of the needs within the community. So there's, there's um, the, the state provides us with uh, a lot of rules that we have to follow, especially for the subdivisions, um, which is where we're splitting land to create new lots. And um, so we, we always have to work within that framework of what the state says we have to do in terms of timelines and things we have to ask for and, and, um, you know, and, and, and an application process, et cetera. So when we think about streamlining, we're really thinking about within that framework of the state, is there some wiggle room? Is there some space in there for um, opening up some new opportunities that can um, allow a project to um, be reviewed faster, but still know that we're following those those assurances that it's still safe, that it's still environmentally sound, that it's still has the access that it needs. But how can we do it in a in a streamlined way? Um, so. We don't know yet. That's something we're going to be working on. If there's some opportunities there, you know, we want to hear about it. And, 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 and we hear that that's a, a way that we can um, help provide new stock for housing um, and still, you know, do the things we need to do, which is make sure people are aware of it and make sure that we are building and developing safe, healthy housing. Say somebody came along to development services and says, I have a shipping container project. How can I make this possible in Missoula? Something like that. Because I think right now alternative materials are a little bit more in the spotlight because building materials, traditional building materials, have gotten so costly. And also getting people to build them is also getting very costly. So what, what about those sorts of things? Um, Generally, we don't have a, in zoning, we don't have a restriction on like how small a unit can be. So that's one of the things I think of when you're talking about the, the shipping container is the size of it. Building codes may. So we, there, there's some requirements to have a minimum size bedroom and minimum size headroom in a space, minimum size um, or mac minimum size windows for being able to get out of spaces and things like that. So we really would look more to what a building code might require. Um, and then it's a matter of um, how does that shipping container fit on a lot or, or you know many shipping containers on one lot and can it balance all the other things we need. One of the things we did do with with the zoning is that we provided relief in the kind of parking calculation for for a smaller unit, um, which I think that might be. Um, typically, our single dwellings re are required to have two parking spaces, and we reduced that to one for smaller. I think it was like under. 600 mm -hmm. square feet or something. So that's some ways that we think about it. We don't really have um, any restrictions on the material selections, though. It might be worth talking to some, some building officials just about that or some other places like Missoula Urban Demonstration Project repurpose shipping containers um, and 
I know there there have been some. It, it hasn't been the smoothest process as far as you know the functionality or the the cost at the end of the day that you know shipping containers still have a cost. And once you factor in trying to get them sealed and insulated and get the plumbing and the window, like sort of all sort of the like things up to code. Yeah, getting it up to a code that's safe for people to live in. Um, they also typically, especially the repurposed shipping containers, um, in order to be um, durable in sea travel, they end up using some pretty strong chemical paints, and so there's like a environmental quality piece to them that that I think there's I don't know I don't know if those th- have all been worked out, but I know you know be interested. There are some folks who have been working on that around the city, and I I, th- I think they've run into some some barriers maybe on mm-hmm. how how much you actually save by using a shipping container at the end of the day. Yeah, it yeah. remains to be seen what yeah. the opportunities with alternative yeah. building yeah. materials are. And then there's things. Uh, one of the reasons I wanted to ask, uh, I was asking about shipping containers, was because it is such a small space and the requirements for a lot that you would put a shipping container on or what you put the shipping container on in the first place is different from a traditional foundation. I, don't, I guess I didn't know yeah. if that was something that zoning also takes a look at. Um, and parking was something that I did run into at one point mm-hmm. in time. and. One parking space over two parking spaces actually makes quite a big uh, difference in the cost (laughs) of paving that area because uh, I was told I had to pave it and it would have been quite expensive for me if I had undertaken that project. So I think it's really cool that only one parking space is now a possibility for a smaller home. So (laughs) (laughs) uh, I do want to talk more about how transportation and better public transportation like oh the bus is free mm-hmm. in Missoula which is so cool mm-hmm. how much that in affects people's cost of living yeah the way I think of it there's there's a couple of ways that that transportation costs affect housing costs the first is sort of a direct expense um, where putting in new infrastructure for new development has a direct cost um, Parking is a really good example where there is a cost, as, as you were talking about, of providing a space for essentially a car to live versus spaces for for people to live. We we know that you know there's a lot of need to have you know the way our transportation set up right now it sort of dictates relying on an auto in in a lot of cases. But there's that direct cost of building a sidewalk, building roads, bringing them up to code. Uh, or up to city standards, providing the parking spaces, all of those things add to the cost of a housing unit. Um, so that's kind of a direct relationship to the, the cost of housing. Um, the second way we think about it is just the, the annual household costs for paying for transportation. Um, and we know from sort of national survey, the U.S. Census asks questions about transportation costs, and we can sort of get estimates from that. and and. What we know right now is in Missoula, it's about ten to eleven thousand dollars a year um, per household for transportation costs. That's average, so a lot of households are less than that. Some are more, um, but that's a huge expense um, when you think of you know your your annual. You know, it's close to a thousand dollars a month when you look at the cost of buying, maintaining, insurance, um, gas costs. All of those things add up. So. If we can provide a transportation system that gives people alternatives, and if we can develop in a way that makes walkability a, a possibility, and develop in a way that supports transit, um, then suddenly you have other options. You don't necessarily have to drive, and 
even if you can cut that average cost in half, so say you know a, a three or four person household goes from two vehicles to one, mm-hmm. and you can save on average five thousand dollars a year over a thirty year mortgage, that's close to one hundred and fifty thousand mm-hmm. um, dollars. Which, if you try to subsidize that for every household via just a direct, we want to reduce the cost of every house by one hundred and fifty thousand dollars, you're suddenly into millions and millions of dollars. So if we can just make some investments in transit to, to make it accessible to more people, that, that gives options, create um, multimodal transportation systems, so adding in good bicycle and pedestrian connectivity, and then create development patterns that give people those options. So it's, you, you have the ability to walk to school because your housing is close enough, or grocery stores are, are in close enough proximity, or other services, um, or even jobs. Uh, closer to where people live. And so there's there's a strong relationship between the development code, the Laval is working on in the planning and the transportation side, and, and how do you support those things um, through each other. But those are the, the sort of ways that we approach affordability. One's the infrastructure development, and the other is just sort of that ongoing expense. And do people have the opportunity to choose other modes if they, if they want to? Well, I love the work that the city of Missoula is doing to expand the bicycle network. Mm-hmm. For, for example, out by the um, Russell Street Bridge, where uh-huh. all of that new um, bike path infrastructure is going. Yeah, in. it's pretty exciting. I'm really excited about that, and uh, over here off of Broadway, that and mm-hmm. it's been really lovely. And um, I wonder for new affordable housing, up and coming affordable housing developments mm-hmm. like the Trinity and Villaggio, which Aaron Bayhan and a, a bunch of people have talked about. So do, how does that process look? Does um, Do you both or do you uh, both work in conjunction with mm-hmm. um, all of these entities who, who are creating this affordable housing to make sure that it, it then has bus access and that bike trails are accessible and all of that stuff so that yeah. people can get from their housing to their work? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I can talk about from the transportation planning. We, we try to work real, as closely as possible with, um, both the housing department and Laval's group to look at where the opportunities for affordable housing might be, um, and then think about ways that we can prioritize the infrastructure in those locations. Transit's hard, you know. Transit's hard to relocate. You you want to have consistency with with transit routes, um, so sometimes that's hard. You can't just redirect a bus route to serve new development. But we try to look for the opportunities of where affordable housing might go, um, and then think about where we're planning. Recently, we've we've looked at how do we plan out some of our public investments, so things like building new sidewalks. Can we put those in areas that have high opportunity for more affordable housing? So you remove that cost from a development project. So instead of a development coming in, having to build out all of the sidewalks, the curb, the road infrastructure, um, do that ahead of the project, and then when you go in, they're just building the, the housing, and it, it can reduce the cost a little bit. Is that paid for by tax taxpayers then? That yeah, I mean, I think most of what we do is at city government is ultimately taxpayer funded. Um, but there's a lot of creative ways we can. You know, we have gas tax that that comes in that's for road maintenance, and so we're looking at ways that we can combine road maintenance and sidewalk projects. Um, sidewalks are typically funded through um, property tax assessment. The, the citywide road district funds part of that. Some of it is adjacent property owner assessments, so there's a formula we use when we're going into an existing neighborhood and, and building that infrastructure. Um, but yeah, so it's a combination of, of 
different kinds of, of tax revenue. We, we often go for federal, look for federal grants that we can use to help offset costs. Um, but again, you know, at the end of the day, that's still taxpayer dollars. It's just sort of national pool of money versus a local pool, so, yeah. Um, okay, and so, let's see. You don't think a passenger train is ever going to be a viable option in Missoula? A lot of people okay. have asked me about it and talked to me about it in conjunction with the f affordable housing question. So, Yeah, I, I think there's a lot of interest right now in rail. Um, there's a lot of hurdles to get over, but um, you know, there, there's been some activity recently. Commissioner Strohmeyer is really advocating for and trying to build the coalition necessary to try to get passenger rail, at least the, you know, kind of Amtrak regional or, um, you know, the, the long distance transportation rail. When it comes to something like light rail or, you know, thinking about commuter rail, it gets a little bit different. That can be really expensive. Um, so thinking about a rail, passenger rail from the Bitterroot into Missoula, the cost to implement that is is really really expensive, and you would need a really high ridership to make it work. And I, all the studies that we've done in the past don't show that there's enough potential there. That you know, in order to make it work, you would pull so many people off the road that then the road would be so attractive for people to use. You know, there's so trade-offs there of like, could you get enough people to ride to make it work? Um, not to say that that's not an option for the future that we could continue to explore it, but. Um, you know, we're really focused on trying to create the foundation of a system in the core of Missoula that's efficient to serve all of the residents there. And then once we have that established, then I think we can look at it, it becomes much more feasible for somebody traveling from the Bitterroot into Missoula. Once they get here, they have options to get around town. So, you know, people typically have more than just getting to work and home. You know, they might have to do errands or they have to go somewhere. So you need that. Or you get into town at the station and then you have to go two miles to get to your job. So you really need that core transit system to function well before the commuter rail will really work for enough people to make it feasible. Yeah, yeah that's very true. Yeah. And I love riding my bicycle, and yeah. many <clears throat> Missoulians love riding their bicycles, uh -huh. but it's still not the most viable option in no. the wintertime. Yep. Uh, so that's like half of the year. I have seen uh, people with these really big, many more of those uh -huh. big tire yeah. bicycles. Yep. Uh, right. Yeah, and, and winter biking is a really interesting um, thing. There are cities outside the U.S. and maybe some inside the U.S. that have demonstrated that if you, um, in climates similar to Missoula, so, so Norway has a couple of cities where even in the winter they get 20 to 30% of their trips are by bike, um, and it's a cold, snowy climate. And what they do is they design facilities that are safe, and then they maintain them really well. And so you're not, um, you know, if you have... Think about the Milwaukee and Missoula. It gets plowed. The Milwaukee Trail gets plowed by eight o'clock in the morning, um, and it's it's so easy to bike on. I mean, it's cold, and you know there are those days where yeah, it's going to be really hard to bike because it's a blizzard and blowing snow, and no one really wants to be on a bike. But those days tend to be fairly um, infrequent, and so again, if you can have a good, reliable transit system, and then you have good facilities that are that are safe and accessible and well maintained, so. We know bike lanes don't work great in the winter because the snow gets plowed in, the cars edge into it, um, and no one wants to bike on them because they feel really unsafe and are probably really unsafe. Um, I think we're trying to create this um, kind of tiered system of mm -hmm. that well-maintained commuter trail. Mm -hmm. So sometimes it might still be challenging on the um, 
on the local system, mm-hmm. but being able to move people over to a, a complete, safe, and well-maintained commuter system will we'll get folks there. And then we look for opportunities to put housing along those. So, yeah. you know, the commuter trails and the, the Bitter Trail and the Milwaukee Trail, those are, play, like, we want opportunities for affordable housing on those so that people who live there, you know, if you work downtown and maybe the bus doesn't work because you're in um, service industry or some other job that doesn't allow you to have a 9 to 5 schedule that the bus works for, you could still take the Bitter Trail all the way to Missoula and be I mean, you really don't have to interact with traffic. It gets maintained. It suddenly, you know, you have these options. Um, So it really becomes location is really key for affordable housing, and it's something that we push a lot of, you know, look for opportunities to build affordable housing that have good existing infrastructure because that will help people um, have other options. You don't rely on your auto. Um, You know, I always think of if I were in a situation where, you know, living in housing that required me to have a vehicle, and if you can, can't afford those transportation costs, it sort of puts your whole, you know, your, maybe you can afford your housing, but if your, your vehicle breaks down and you can no longer afford, you, know, you can't afford to fix it or you don't, can't get the, and then suddenly you lose your job because you can't get to work, and then you lose your housing, and sort of these cascading effects. And so if you can increase the reliability and sort of resiliency of transportation while you reduce the cost, you kind of, it's like bolstering the affordable housing. And it's giving people options. Yeah, op- yeah, exactly. So, so location is key. It really is. Yeah. How does um, the city of Missoula figure out? Well, first of all, you said you put a target area where a, a viable area for affordable housing. How does the city of Missoula beat out a competitive buyer for that nice chunk of land with, uh, you know, utilities and all of that stuff? How does that process work? I um think that there is, uh, we're talking about housing of all levels and, and affordabilities. So, oops. So, <laughs> so I, I, you know, we have a, I, I think we have a great relationship with, with um, many of the different buyers that come around. Mm-hmm. And um, it's really something that I, I think Aaron Peehan and the housing department uh, takes on is 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 being there and being able to have that conversation with 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 whomever and having your ears out there for what's going on just just knowing um, and being able to talk to anybody who comes through that says I've got an idea and does that idea work and I think that in the past we've really demonstrated the way to put partnerships together so sometimes it may be. Um, a private developer that is looking at something that we can combine and and um, include some aspects of affordable housing as well, you know, qualifying affordable housing. So I think a lot of what we have to do is think in terms of partnerships. Um, and then if, if it's a project that is, uh, you know, coming forward that isn't sort of qualifying as affordable, it's still needed. It's still good contribution to the stock and the supply for the city. And then there's a sort of an evolution or a, a movement around the community for that freeing up other housing. So I think we just see um, all forms of housing are really needed. Where we emphasize things has to do with the, the the harder places for development to occur, um, and, um, and that's where we, we you know we really 
have to do a lot of work. We have to um, find ways to be supportive. We have to talk to talk about all aspects of it, like what does this do for transportation? How does transportation help it? And um, and and look at our regulations and and rules to be able to support the the development that happens in our core of the city, but is often um, harder to do because there's restrictions around it or you know utility lines through it and stuff like that, as opposed to development that is on a open field, you know, a greener area. So I think that's why we, we try to emphasize the need to look and focus inward into the core. Um, it's a place where it's we have more work to do. There's always more work to do. Yeah, right. <laughs> Never ending. S sustainability is always, you know, a, a key goal for the city, and we're always looking for ways to do that. And so I think if there's, you know, ways to do that that, are, that meet that base public health and safety, then, I don't know, there's always opportunities. But. Yeah. Well, I don't, I don't claim to be an expert on any of this <laughs> stuff. Uh, I'm I'm learning as I go along as well, and kind of putting it all together. How all all of the entities go and work together, and I have my real estate license, but that's you know pretty focused area. Yeah. So, mm -hmm. well, I always like to ask my guests if there's anything I've left out that you would like to mention. So, is there anything we haven't covered that you feel is important? Gosh, I mean, there, I'm sure there probably is, um, but you know, big picture, we're all of these things that we're working on tend to be related. Um, and so when you're thinking about housing affordability, a lot of, or um, climate change or property taxes, all of these things end up being related at the end of the day. And I, I think of transportation as sort of a key metric on how all of those things are, are functioning. It's kind of like, I don't know, if you're going to the doctor doing basic tests like blood pressure or things that can give you indica indication of how healthy you are. It's the same for cities, and, and transportation is a good measure of sort of how healthy our city is. Um, so if you have lots of congestion and people are relying on, have to rely on auto travel, you're increasing your household costs, which is affecting affordability. You're increasing emissions in, in climate change, so we're, we're impacting our ability to meet our climate goals. Um, there are costs associated with accommodating single occupancy vehicle travel. It tends to be the most expensive form of travel. So there's the cost to the individual in terms of buying a car and maintaining it. And you know, I think that statistics that they're parked or cars are utilized maybe five percent of a of the time. And so you know, you have this huge expense for a vehicle that sits in a parking space. That parking space has a cost. And so we're building all this additional parking. Um, to accommodate vehicles that sit there most of the day. Um, and then there's the, so, so the cost of that infrastructure is really expensive. Um, and so that impacts property taxes and other things that can affect affordability. And so if we start to think about better ways to develop around um, transportation, things that allow for other options, so increasing densities in a way that, that works for neighborhoods, um, not just increasing density for the sake of increasing density, but create for walkable communities and support transit. Um, not everyone is going to take those, but if you can you know, double or triple the number of people who bike and triple the people who, know, who walk um, and increase transit uses, usage, suddenly you do all of those things and the number of drive-alone trips goes way down. And that has all of these cascading benefits of meeting our climate goals, increasing affordability, reducing the need for roadway expansions and property tax increases. 
um, and and roadway maintenance so that we know like we're not even keeping up with with our needs there. So so you can achieve all of these goals, and it's sort of a, a measure that allows us to assess how how healthy our city is, um, not just you know physical health, but ge generally does our city function in a way that's sustainable. So. I don't know. That's my. I do transportation all day, and so I'm sure there are plenty of other ways that we could measure things in a similar. But it's like one of those key measures of how well our our growth is is doing, and is it sustainable long term? So it's a and it's a, a tangible measure. It's something yeah, that people right. feel, touch, and interact with. Yeah. Um, um, when I think about the I the the need to. Um, look at walkable communities and how are we doing with that within the existing city and around the edges of the city. I think also of the the need to have um, services there, like a small some small shops, some small work areas, some small um, grocery or health facilities and such. So looking at it doesn't it, it's not just about density to yeah. provide the service to the you know to, mm -hmm. to support the transportation that then supports us back it's also about the the neighborhood service that is needed in in our places um, and needs to be planned and prepared for too so really about mixing uses and and the other aspect of that um, walkable community is having the the sidewalk facilities and the um, bicycle facilities in place and you know we're really finding that um, having those connections that sidewalks provides can help us with our health uh, um, within our community so thinking about the the, the social connection and the physical health um, the the ability to walk around and connect with your neighbors, the ability to um, park the car and use those funds for other things, um, not spend as much time in the vehicle so that you are spending time in a in a, a healthy environment and connecting with other others or taking care of yourself. So we're seeing that 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 web of connection that has to do with. Um, how we take care of ourselves as well as part of a concept and a, and, and a, a key element of the city. And, and I think it's, it requires, getting to those stages where we are sustainable requires some introspection on, you know, what is it that we want out of our, our housing? There's this sort of idea that our, you know, the, the dream is to have a larger single-family house with a large lot in a sort of more suburban um, environment, but that tends to be the most expensive to build, the most expensive to service. It creates the most reliance on single occupancy trips that cascades into a need for wider and more roads. That leads to less, you know, the more the wider your roads and the more vehicles you have, the less safe that is for for everyone. Um, and, and so it really is thinking about what is it that we want out of our housing and how can we change our preferences. That maybe that isn't there's still room for some of that, but thinking more compact and not necessarily we're all living in six-story condos, but, you know, we develop in a way that is more compact, um, and, but then thinking about doing it right so it's not just, you know, building seas of high-density multifamily apartments, but getting that right mix within neighborhoods um, and allowing people to live maybe in the same neighborhood for their whole lives if they want to, that they could start out in a, a higher, that higher-density apartment, move into a you know, maybe a larger housing unit that, that's still compact, but maybe allows for expansion of a family or different um, opportunities. 
Um, and then as you age, you're moving into maybe back into the the smaller units um, that are you know require less maintenance, but still allow you to live close to services and allow you to age in place. So there's this kind of like life cycle and you know what is it we're building and what are our preferences and thinking a little bit more creatively about how we do that and thinking about the long-term costs of all of these things. Yeah. Well, I love everything you both have to say about all of this and I wonder if you have any recommendations for people who want to know more, uh, I don't know, books, links, anything like that that comes to mind. There, there's all kinds of books and resources out there. Um, there there's a, a website that gets cited a lot. I don't know that it's the, the best in the world, but it's a website called Strong Towns that talks about a lot of these things that can give some resources. I think um, City Lab. Yeah, is City Lab. One. Yep. And um, Planetism. 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 It's like planet with I Z E N at the end of it. Um, oh. They're, they're good clearing houses of information. Strong Towns tends to have a, like, they have a philosophy that they are really, you know, that they push, and, and some of it's good, some of it applies to us, some of it's, you know, but it, but it, they talk about these issues a lot. And, mm -hmm. and Plan, Planetism does, City Lab talks about a lot of these issues. And I think, I mean, one of the things that in, in research and in, in, in reading other reports from other communities, it's always important to put that into context. So, you know, we are an existing place with an existing history. We, we, we don't get a do-over, you know. Mm -hmm. We're building off of what is a, a, a great environment already to tackle problems and to provide services and to provide, um, you know, improved health for people here and, and places for people to work and live and play. Um, yeah, and so it, it's got to be in context. Yep. Always keep that in mind. Another good resource locally is our website, the Metropolitan Planning Organization's website, has all of our transportation plans. We have a lot of data. We have some interactive maps. Um, so that's a really good resource, and that's just missoulampo.com. It's really easy to find. Um, and we, you know, we're always doing new plans and doing public process, so there's a ton of opportunity to... You know, whether it's someone who's just interested and wants to find out more um, or you really have strong ideas and you want to convey those ideas and, and participate more directly. So I would encourage people to go there and keep an eye out. And from the, from the, the um, planning division, we have the policy document I was describing. It's called Our Missoula. And um, it's, it's pretty rich in and ideas and direction and vision. Um, and we've been making a lot of good headway in implementing ideas from it, but we have a long way to go, and we always do. And we will be revisiting that document soon. Um, and then there's other more focused planning processes and projects going on like all the time. I guess that is actually my, my last question for you. You kind of brushed upon it. Everybody that I've talked to is like, yeah, we are on board with this housing policy. We are green light go, community cooperation and affordable housing, and let's make it possible. And so I wonder, what are the biggest hurdles in that process right now, in your opinion? <laughs> um, on board, but, you know, being there when, when, when new challenges are coming up. Like if uh, having, having um, like a common collective of, of, of people that are from all walks of life that can support um, what is needed in rule changes or um, 
policy directions, um, having people come forward from all aspects of living in the community, I think, and, and, and voicing support for what is needed. And I think we need to do more work on an education side of things and, um, and an outreach side to be able to get there. Um, yeah. I don't know. More to come, you know, yeah. because we will be rolling out um, a potential changes that can help, but uh, it's, it's still just a part of those ideas that are in the housing policy for implementation. So we'll just keep working on it. And I think private um, property owners will keep working on it. Our housing development organizations will keep working on it. Um, the various organizations will put out information about it, but um, each, each interest needs to be there for the other interest. When it comes to um, projects that you know do all of these things, you know they're in a good location, they're close to services. There's there's every reason why, but it's it's hard sometimes because it's change, and it's it's going to be changed next to somebody else's property, next to somebody else's place where they are used to something a particular way or an open field that has been that way for a while. So. Um, Finding ways to support that and, and having a broad um, collective around it, I think, is going to be really helpful. Yeah, and you, at the end of the day, when you start to dive into all of these issues, as I'm sure you're finding, or the more you get involved, that there's, there's no one silver bullet solution that fixes the problem. Um, it, they tend to be very complex and, and hard to tackle, and so it does require all of those different partners to be thinking about how their piece of the pot, you know, relates and all working collectively and generally having the same goals and mission. So I don't know. It's, it's not the easy answer, but it, um, but I think there's, there, in Missoula, there, there is that starting to build that coalition of all the, the, the people who need to be involved are getting involved and thinking about the ways that their work affects something like affordable housing. Well, thank you both yeah. for taking the time today to speak with me and contribute your voices to the Zootown Affordable Housing Podcast. <laughs> yeah, happy to be here. It's great. I'm glad you're... It's, it's I'm so happy you're yeah. doing this yeah. and, um, and spread the word and ask the questions. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much for saying that. And I've gotten a lot of questions already from folks and a lot of feedback that's been just fascinating. And the learning curve has been... <laughs> yeah through the roof, which is also yeah. wonderful, so. Um, well, yeah, and I, I think we're always available, well, not always available, but always <laughs> interested in, in helping to talk about and communicate these things because we, we don't always get the opportunity. So if questions come up, I mean, I'm certainly interested in if, if you wanted to do follow-ups or have other questions, happy to help work on or answer yeah, those absolutely. if I can. Oh, absolutely, thank you so much. You were just listening to an interview with Laval Means, Planning Services Manager at the Office of Development Services in Missoula, Montana, and Aaron Wilson, Transportation Planning Manager. If you enjoy ZAP and find yourself more informed than before, please share. It is available free on all major platforms. If you or anyone you know would like to contribute an interview, if you want more information about each episode, or to find out how to support ZAP, please visit anchor.fm. 
Special thanks to Chris Moyles with Starlight Reunion Studios for your invaluable time and help with production of this podcast. And also to Missoula Community Radio for your ongoing mentorship and open learning platform. Thank you for joining the Zoo Town Affordable Housing Podcast. Affordable is stable, afford means that you're able to make your wages last through debt, rent, or expenses, while even retaining some senses. Stability with the ability to do things differently with dignity. Sustainable's attainable, retainable. It's trainable. Oh, hello, information. Help leave this situation and zap. So many alternatives, so many voices. Filled with ideas on how to live. Start making choices that improve the collective and zap. Incentivize creation and zap. Promote collaboration and zap. Improve communication.